Hi, I'm Joel. This is Creativity Pulse, a podcast where we dive into the cool waters of creativity and cruise around some creative thinking, evolution of ideas, and innovation that currently exists in a variety of industries and businesses, big and small. For those of you just joining us, there are two weekly episodes, the first with a guest and a second weekly roundup. This links the week's conversation to some creativity stuff. It includes some practical hints to help you exercise, flex, and build your creative mental muscle. Who are you? Where do you come from? And what do you do? Okay, I'm John T. Hayward. Um, I grew up in Cornwall in the UK. What do I do? I've mostly been teaching for the last 10 to 20 years. Currently, though, I'm doing a bit of a mix of things. So I would say I'm doing two big educational things, which would be regular teaching in a school and then private tuition, both online and face-to-face. And then I'm also doing some technology-related things where I'm coding automated payment or trading systems, I might call it, is what I'm working on right now. And I'm hoping to move more towards what I'd rather be doing, which is coding games and developing um, games. And also, as as I mentioned to you before, the VR side of things. So um, to explain that a bit more clearly, I would be coding what they often call pancake or flat screen games is the the, the VR nerds now call like the old style games, like pancake games, because they're not immersive and interactive. Well, they're not immersive, they are interactive. So the get, I'm, I'm not really looking at coding VR games at the moment. I'm looking at coding apps that children can play on their tablets to help them learn mainly maths at the moment. Um, in terms of the VR, that would be me using existing educational or even apps that aren't seen as educational, but I think are educational, and actually letting students try them and, and teach them things within those apps. There's a lot there. So... Is there something in your background that has sort of led you through education into something that's obviously quite complex, virtual reality, education in games? I think the educational side of things, it was never something. I mean, I grew up wanting to be a vet my whole life, my whole childhood. Um, It was never something I considered. But I think the reason I did well academically is because I didn't have. I don't have a very good memory for lots of facts and information. So I, I only learned things through fully breaking them down into like what they actually mean, which which I often found wasn't the way they were portrayed in books or by teachers. In fact, by the time I got to uni, I'd go through a stage of I would have my textbook and then I would read it and write down my own version of everything, and then I would go through that again, and every step would be. I would be kind of boiling it down into simpler and simpler diagrams until eventually it was just like, and then and then a lot of it just clicked. It was like, this actually just is completely logical and makes perfect sense. But the way it's presented was so confusing. And then, then I, you know, throughout my life, I used to see things that way. And then when people, when friends and family were stuck on things, I would say, well, well, I don't see it like that. I see it like this. And they would say, oh, well, that makes sense. So it's actually people in my family who said, oh, well, maybe you should look at look into some teaching. And that was when I'd finished university. Well, I'd, I was like halfway through university and a bit confused about what I was going to do. I decided to go and do a TEFL, like CELTA course in Spain. 
That was fascinating too. It was my first time doing the, the process I just described to you as always science-based, but I then applied it to language, to the English language. And I'd always, you know, I got good grades in English at school, but I'd never, un- we never taught grammar or anything. And suddenly I kind of saw that there was this whole like logical rule set behind language that I'd never actually thought about when I was writing essays and things. And I found that really interesting and kind of really understood grammatical tenses and the phonetics of language, which has then helped me to, I'm, I'm not good at learning languages, but it has helped me to learn other languages more easily than when I was in school and I didn't really understand the basis of language. Well, I know we met in Thailand and I've heard you speak Thai, so it's one of the most complicated languages in the world. I'm learning Russian, so it's humbling. Humbling, yeah, that's the word I was looking for. You, you, really, you kind of have these vague flashbacks to when you were four and you, you never really, you don't really remember them, but like, oh, actually there was a time when I didn't know how, like, what a, the letter A looked like. I mean, I think there's a, they've, I know sort of studying creative theories at the moment and looking into it as much as I can on the creative side of things. It's kind of amazing that kids have this ability to be as creative as they need to be to learn. And the older we get, you know, I'm looking at you and thinking, wow, you know, I've got a white beard and you you don't. So you're obviously younger than me. It's getting there. Yeah. I, I remember being taught grammar at school, actually. Uh, I think they got rid of that quite a few years ago in the British education system anyway, certainly. But, I mean, it sounds like you've been, you've had to sort of take a very creative approach to learning i have no idea to be honest because it, this developed in like my early childhood i think it's how i've always understood things and i'm um, like i said by the time i got to university things reached such a high level of complexity so this was um, effectively when i was studying medical science to be a vet and then i moved into biology so it was kind of high level biology really that was the time where i really had to almost self-analyze like how am i how did i learn this before okay how can i because now i'm struggling um, how can I make my process even better? But I think growing up, I don't know if it's related to how my parents taught things to me. I mean, both my parents are pretty smart. My dad probably understands things in a similar way to me, like tries to break things down. So I don't know if it's come from the way he used to explain things to me. I don't know if I had to answer that. I imagine it's just related to it. I kind of see things pretty logically. So the aim was always to understand something. And you can't understand something if you don't understand what it's made of. You know, if, if you don't know or, or what it's made of or what it's for, I guess. And that's so when someone tells me you need to know how this works, then I look at it and I say, OK, but I don't know what that, that and that are or how they work. So let's find that bit out first. And then you keep going down the layers um, and then you kind of build it back up again. And then it all makes sense in the end. I know you tutor sort of gifted students. I've got a couple of those myself on the economics and business management side of things. And I know we talk a lot about the the failing of education recently, you know, I sort of say 10 years plus, maybe back 20 years, where it's become standardized. You know, I come from an engineering background where standardization is an engineering process for creating a million identical tins every day. Um, and we all know and are recognizing even more rapidly nowadays that everybody is actually really quite different, learn in really different ways. I mean, you're obviously a really intelligent guy who's struggled with fact retention. That's not unusual with people. 
I had to remember a huge amount of facts when I was doing my engineering degree. And I think that sort of killed my memory, really, for things like that. Uh, now we have almost sort of followed the blue arrow learning with standardized teaching and processes. Do you think there's a, you know, if you had to sort of fix the education system, how would you sort of do that? Yeah, it's a bit of a difficult question because <laughs> I think I think I I less I less feel that things are broken in that I think things have always had pros and cons and I think they shift. So I think there are problems now that may not have existed before, but there are also ways that things are being taught in education that may be better than they used to be. Um, in terms of standardisation, it's interesting because you mentioned my, like the gifted students I've worked with. What I've noticed is it's the, I mean, in a way, it's similar to what I just described for myself. The gifted students don't really have an issue because they can find their own ways around any barriers and problems. I had one student who definitely wouldn't be described as a gifted student. It really was quite an eye opening experience. So I was teaching in rural Cornwall, and there was one boy who had, who had been pointed out to me as that they kind of said, just like don't just don't worry about him like he won't he won't get anything done he won't say anything he won't do anything um, which when you're a trainee teacher is you feel like wait that's not what I've been told on my courses but okay but anyway so I observed I wasn't really I was only teaching small sections of lessons then and I was mostly just watching the teacher teach and just like they said he he, he just had glazed eyes occasionally the teacher would ask him a question and he would just say, I don't know. It doesn't matter what the question was. It was, he didn't even think about what they were asking. He was completely um, unengaged in every, in everything that I witnessed. And over time, when you're in a classroom full of kids who are all engaged and one of them really isn't, you, you end up, you know, kind of assuming that this guy is boring and has no interests and just isn't interested in stuff. But obviously I'd only ever seen him in, in maths lessons. And in fact, I think I'd seen him in some other lessons and actually he was like this in every lesson and that's why the teachers had said what they'd said. Um, interestingly, this school, and I've been in a couple of schools in Cornwall that have something similar and all of them have been quite fascinating to me. They have like these farm projects. So this school had what they called the school farm and it wasn't really a, a farm. It was more just like a small area of where they had animals and they grew some vegetables and stuff. And I went down there one day and he was down there. It turned out he spent like most of his free time down there. And of course, he'd grown up on farms, um, and I think his dad was a fisherman, so he'd, he'd kind of grown up in a very agricultural, fishing, almost like old-school Cornish background, of which there must be a lot of students like that, really. But he was filling out some sheet about, uh, from, what, from what I remember, it was about how things work um, in an agricultural setting. And even that was like a shock at first because I'd pre pretty much never seen him move before then. He was actually writing things down and drawing arrows. He he did have like serious literacy problems, so he couldn't really read or write. He just he just spoke to me for half an hour about all the things he was interested in. He had recently finished building a boat with his dad. You know, he had been in these math lessons and given the impression of like zero ability in anything, but that was only because of the way school kind of framed framed things to me as a teacher he had so he built a boat with his dad he was also um it might sound a bit controversial now but um hunting is quite a big thing in in Cornwall so he was he was an expert on shotguns and basically pheasant hunting he helped on the hunts they used to go on 
And, and just the language he used, he was using like complex language. Like I said, he couldn't read or write well, but verbally he was explaining, you know, I asked him about building boats just to check it wasn't his dad who built the boat and he was watching. And he clearly knew exactly how a boat, every bit of a boat worked. He knew how every bit of a shotgun worked. And yet he was going to finish school with absolutely no qualification at all. And that was where it really hit me. And I had another student very similar, more from the, the, the farming side, who I actually had major behavioral issues with a student later on a few years down the line. And he just hated school. And then I found out that once a week, the school had let him go to work on a farm because that's what he really wanted to do. And it's quite good. I, I, I do think it's worth saying, you know, it's good that the, these schools in Cornwall were somewhat flexible They were because they were kind of breaking, I think, breaking certain national curriculum rules in a way by allowing kids like a day off school every week to do something they actually thought would benefit the student. Um, but anyway, I said, well, I like farms. I like animals. I studied to be a vet. Um, like, and I asked the head of maths if I could go down and spend a day on the farm when he was there. And it was, and again, it was the same thing. Like he, he was helping the farmer with everything he knew, how everything worked. The farmer would tell him to go and do a job and he would do it independently himself. Um, whereas if you'd ask teachers in school, is this an independent student? You know, they would have thought he was the complete opposite of that. He couldn't do anything himself. And actually that then led, I then actually got to know the farmer and the farmer was so fascinating how his knowledge of from the geology of the soil to the biology of the grass and the cattle and the milk, it was a dairy farm, and the engineering and physics of the milking station, the cooling systems, the wind, a full-size wind turbine they'd put in, you know, like the, the giant ones you see from the roads. Um, all the way to the fine the financial side, he had all these, he had a computer system set up. Um, tracking all the finances. Um, it was just a whole load of stuff I'd never even considered before. Like um, they were basically every field you would be recording the height of the grass. The energy content of grass varies with height. So it's not like if you have 10 centimetres and 20 centimetres, 20 centimetres of grass is double 10. It's it's not linear. So he had these systems for like kind of tracking how much grass each cat, the cows had eaten in each field. And that's how he would decide which fields to move them to. Um, we just see some cows out the window of the car and just kind of assume, you know, the farmer lets them out in the morning. And so what I actually ended up doing was then arranging what I called a farm math trip every year, where we took actually gifted math students to the farm. And I, I would always say at the start of the trip, I'd say, what's your stereotypical impression of a Cornish farmer? And, you know, we the, the media does a good job of pretending that farmers are kind of like, you know, country rednecks, as it were, don't really know anything. And then I'd take them and this guy would show them around the farm, explain everything. I gave them a load of maths questions about the farm they had to work out. And it was just really interesting. They all came away like kind of as amazed as I was at how this guy knew so much and that was what you needed if you wanted to be a successful farmer. I've got a friend who's a Brazilian musician and multi-talented on across a number of instruments and uh says he can't sing but until you hear him <laughs> and then you realize how sort of i guess humble he is on that side of things but he's realized that he's not just a musician he needs to be a producer so he's looking he's doing a course at the moment on the technical aspect of things but what he's really clever at recognizing is that he's actually doing a marketing course 
because he's re- he's recognized without someone to market him, i.e. a business manager, it doesn't matter. He's just a, a well-kept secret, effectively, playing in front of five people in a club somewhere. So again, I think that's one of the issues that we're possibly failing to understand in education. And again, it's do you think it's sort of a numbers thing that effectively we we as teachers, we as education educators, whatever you want to call us, have sort of a broad view of what 21st century skills are needed and we we hear from business people what's required. And then you go back and look at the syllabus and you say, well, that doesn't really fit, but it fits the volume of students that we need to sort of ram through the system every year. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's hard to know. You know, higher up the chain when you get to government decisions and things. Maybe I just don't know enough about it. But my impression is that perhaps there are a lot, even though things are becoming, you know, employees want independent workers and um, independent learners and things. I think there are a lot more jobs where they still just want someone who has a certain skill set and they do that skill set. There's probably less roles where you need to have this wide range of um, skills so like which is is a kind of numbers game like you say it's it's like in school do you if you made if you try to make everyone kind of multi-skilled independent learners I think that would a be very tricky to do anyway but also it might not actually fit the, the market that they're looking for yeah I tend to agree with you there that the education system is providing companies with the people that they do need. I think the it was interesting something you said before. Clever people create their own processes. So the top X amount of percentage of people recognize that. I know the students that I tutor have recognized that, and they're clever enough to recognize. You know, look, I'm one of 25 people in sitting in a classroom here. The teacher has to teach to the majority of the people, and I'm at the fringes of that. And the poor, poor guy sitting over there in the corner, throw, you know, making paper balls and throwing them at the you know, guy in front is obviously the other side of the fringe of that side of things. And the teacher can't help either of us. So they're teaching to those sort of 16 people in the middle. So they're sort of clever enough, I guess, to create their own process like you were in how they learn. And then they're taking that out of the school context and applying it to their own sort of lives when they're working for businesses. And I guess these are the sort of the people that end up being the, what's the old fashioned term, captains of industry. It's um, what you're describing is interesting because when we were working in Thailand, I mean, this probably was happening at like kind of as you left, but what happened is, is with the, the online loan, I think that made quite a few of these top end students realized that they didn't need school anymore at first I was a bit skeptical and worried I was you know how you know did they just get addicted to gaming it's like the stereotype of they were they were both boys but you know my wife knew their mums and I started to hear things about the what they were learning online mostly focusing on coding but coding for a reason so they were setting up again on like merchant based websites and selling things online obviously learning a lot about finance, business, money. A couple of them came into school and gave me some of their um, business-made, what was it, cold brew coffee that they had been selling online. And, you know, that was when I started thinking, actually, you know, where are they? Where would they be learning more? Um, they seem to be 
doing all right and they're probably going to keep going. I think, uh, you know, I think if you imagine that they've never been to school, I think it'll be a different story. I think, you know, the fact they've been, they kind of always needed to be at school and obviously learn the basics is what happened at school, but also you kind of need to be at school to almost see how how it's working for everyone else in order to then make this decision that I'm going to do things differently. John T and I continued chatting about education and creative approaches to educating yourself and then moved on to discussing chat GPT and VR development and John T's take on the future of VR and its usage. The continuing chat with John T will be available next week. Don't forget the short takeaway episode this week though. That'll be available in a couple of days. Well, hey, that's it from me. Who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do? Have a great day and best of luck with your creativity. I'm Joel. I'll see you next episode.